Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Palacastro. And I'm Nick Anthony. And today we're talking to Sean Korn about the separation of sex and spirituality. So excited about this. I know you are. Hi, Nick. Hey, Britt. So I'm really excited. I'm nervous. My belly is doing flip-flops about our guest today. <laughs> Why is that? Why are you so nervous? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've been thinking about that because I've done a lot of podcast interviews, but there's such a difference between doing a podcast interview where somebody is like just asking you a bunch of questions and you're just like, I'm just answering the questions. Like that's easy for me. Like somebody, I can talk my ass off, right? Especially when someone's like, what about this? What about that? But to be the one who's kind of orchestrating the conversation and has to like ask the questions and whatnot, that's really different. And so there's that. And then our guest is very special to me. Our guest is Sean Korn, who is a world-renowned yoga teacher and who has had such influence in my life over the years, like in really big ways. And... Yeah. And so I always find it so interesting how you can't control like the way the nervous system wants to respond to shit. No, but at at least we're in a space where there's familiar energy there. Mm -hmm. Like just once we get into a flow, I'm sure it'll be easy peasy. Let's hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) It'll happen. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to meeting Sean or having a virtual direct connection you've just you've talked about her so much over the years and um anyone that has influenced you in that magnitude yeah i'm all for it just looking forward to seeing what gets unveiled and revealed in terms of the conversation and see how it flows welcome to kitchen table i'm Brittany. i'm nick and today we are talking to sean corn so excited about this. And we're going to be talking about the separation of spirituality from sexuality. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you a little bit about Sean. If you don't know, you may not already, but you're about to learn some more. Boom. (laughs) So Sean is an internationally acclaimed yoga teacher and public speaker known for her social activism, impassioned style of teaching, and raw, honest, and inspired self-expression. Sean has chosen to use her platform to bring awareness to global issues, including social justice, sex trafficking, HIV AIDS awareness, generational poverty, and animal rights. In 2005, she was named National Yoga Ambassador for Youth AIDS, and in 2013 received both the Global Green International Environmental Leadership Award and the Humanitarian Award by the Smithsonian Institute. Her first book, Revolution of the Soul, was published in fall of 2019. Welcome, Sean. We're so happy to have you. Nailed it. Thank you so much. Brittany and Nick, I'm so happy to be able to be here and to talk with you both. Wonderful. We have lots of things. There's a billion things that we could talk about. So I kind of had to narrow it down. But before we get into this idea, you know, talking about sexuality and spirituality, I have a question for you that I've been pondering as I've been thinking about us talking. You are such influential, inspirational force in the yoga community and spiritual communities and activism communities and have been for many, many years, right? Before Instagram or social media or TikTok or any of that stuff, right? And I've seen this happen in, you know, spaces and I've been part of that as well of putting you on a pedestal, you being put on this pedestal as this amazing person. And I'm just wondering if you can speak to over the years, how that's felt for you, how you've managed that. And not only that, but just the way that I'm guessing people project their shit onto you, you know, being so vulnerable in these yoga practices that you teach. It's a really good question, Brittany. And I appreciate you asking that because when I became a yoga teacher, it hit me very quickly. And this was just on a local level. The amount of projection that was being sent my way and also the hierarchy that existed within that space. The moment I took the seat of the teacher, there was this inflated sense of self, importance, authority, as if I knew better than anyone else in the room. And as a student of yoga who is taught to look and orient towards the shadow, whether it's in relationships or in any aspect of life, I identified very quickly the shadow of being a yoga teacher, and that is buying the hype that is assigned when you step into 
a patriarchal and hierarchical role. And it was almost instantaneous where I thought like, oh, I see where this is going to go. I get that if I buy this hype and stop doing the inner work on myself, the amount of deep inner reconciliation that's going to have to happen is going to take years to unpack. And so knowing this, I just made a real commitment that as I taught and the shadow came up, that I would work with it. And meaning that like, if I didn't feel good about myself one day, all I needed to do was book a class because I would get 10, 20, 100 people telling me how fabulous I was. And I could rest in that external projection, but without actually having to deal with whatever has been internalized, hasn't been dealt with. So if that moment came up, I would recognize like something else needs to be fed that I am allowing to be fed from the outside in. Thank you, God, for giving me this mirror. Now let me go do my work. I just made it a real commitment from the beginning not to buy the hype, to recognize that projection is a part of anyone's healing journey, that if a student projects onto me, it's my job not to buy into that projection, but I also can't stop the projection. That's just part of the deal. The same with transference. I think that I've been in therapy since I was 18 years old. It's been a huge part of my own transformational process. So I understood about transference. I understood about projection. And to me, teaching yoga was no different. It was just one more opportunity to have to do the inner work, to call my own spirit back from external forces that was separating me from my own true nature. And and also maybe being from New Jersey and growing up in an environment where you really didn't buy your hype. If you did, someone was bound to smack you in the head and bring you back down to earth. (laughs) And so I always had that sensibility. I've enjoyed being a leader in the community. I am grateful that so many people have put their trust in me. And to me, in order to really honor that trust is to make sure that I am doing the inner work that I am not getting carried away with this false identification and that I remain grateful for the privileges and the gifts, but that I don't allow it to define who I am and be the thing that brings me self-confidence or better sense of who I am. Teaching is an aspect of my experience, but it's not the totality of my identity. And so I have to work really hard at it, the good and the bad. Meaning that for as many good comments as I get is equals the amount of bad comments I get. And if I took either to heart, then I'm going to be exhausted. And I'm also going to be micromanaging other people's experience so that I want them to get something out of the yoga, not like me. And if I'm invested on getting them to like me, then I will micromanage the experience to serve their wants rather than their needs. It's been definitely a long process, but one that I've been cognizant of from the very, very beginning. And I don't let myself off the hook, even after all these, you know, the 30 plus years that I've been teaching, I never let my guard down around it because I know how seductive the projection is. And I'm not interested in that having, I've got enough to work on with myself that I'd rather not have to add that onto my plate. All that, the energetics of what you said would be lovely to see government positions mm-hmm, right. like in celebrity in general it's just uh, in yeah. a relationship yeah like a hundred percent like i was just like i felt all that super important it's hard though nick because there's not a lot of models for this unless you're in therapy mm-hmm. unless you have the resources to afford a good therapist there's not a lot of resources that help you to understand the way in which our sense of self is dependent upon external validation. And that external validation is unique to each person based on their upbringing and their own conditioning. Mm -hmm. And so depending on the trauma that you experienced and just your own culture is going to determine what it means to feel good about me. How do I get love from my family? How did I get love from my school, my church, my environment, my temple? That's going to impact what our wound looks for later on in life, whether it's in relationship or as a yoga teacher. Because I had done the work of knowing that 
there are certain triggers for me that make me orient towards needing that validation. When it comes up in my body, I know right away like, oh, hey, daddy. Hey, grandpa. That's old stuff. That's historical that I am now, because it hadn't been healed then, looking for it externally. And so celebrity culture and influencers of today, it really has a lot to do with not having reconciled some of their own wounds and still needing to get fed from the outside in, in a way that's unique to their own trauma. And has there been for you moments, not allowed, but just been swayed by that seduction, you know, because I mean, like it's, you're human, like we're all human. And so it's going to happen. Right. Sure. And so what has that been like when you've been like, oh shit, here we go. (laughs) It's not even like a singular moment. It's every single time, probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, you know, you feel the swell of pride, that moment of just, uh, just even having a sense of like superiority, just an inflated sense of self that doesn't feel rooted or grounded. And it comes up as a sensation in my body. That's how I track it and know whether or not it's true. What I do give myself though, is the gift to appreciate these moments, whether it's like getting a book deal or the cover of a magazine or something that's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. That's unexpected. I never saw that coming in my lifetime. I didn't know I would get this much of attention. I didn't know I would make this kind of a living. I didn't know people would trust me in that way. I'll let myself exhale into that with deep gratitude because it is a privilege and it is a gift and it feels amazing. I just won't let myself identify with it. Meaning that if it all got taken away, I'm still gonna love myself. I'm still gonna value who I am. But I can also appreciate the abundance and the gifts. And so I get, let myself have those moments of like, well, this feels nice. Like I'm going to take an inhale and thank you, God. And thank you to anyone who's saying nice things about me. And certainly there have been a few moments where I have experienced, um, I don't know if this comes with, uh, success or age, but moments of entitlement of being someplace as a teacher where I feel entitled to something based on my, either my celebrity or my longevity. But that only feels like it happened later in life. And so sometimes I think I've just become a curmudgeon and I'm just like (laughs) old and don't want to be inconvenienced in any way and feel entitled to certain comforts. So I haven't decided yet if it's, you know, where that lands, but there's definitely moments where I can feel myself and feel that split within myself. But the commitment that I've had from the very beginning is to be in service to my community, and above all, to God. And I know that I've been asked to use my unique self-expression. It's no better or worse than anybody else's. It's just unique to me, as both of yours is unique to you. And I feel that God wants a myriad of different kinds of voices to be essentially speaking to the exact same thing, but with enough difference that Different people hear it at different times in their own experience so that the more authentic I am to my truth and to my own humanity, the person who is designed to resonate with my particular frequency, they're going to feel the authenticity 100% in their own body. In the same way, someone who's meant to connect to your resonance is going to feel that authenticity. One is not meant to be greater than the other. It's just that all of these different voices all of these different creative self-expression needs to be brought to this, this table, if you will. And that feels like it's been my commitment is to be in service in that way, to bring the whole of myself, the light and the shadow to the table and take ownership of my humanity while simultaneously living the tools that I'm privileged enough to have access to and then finding ways to articulate those tools to make them accessible to others, but not to elevate my experience as better than. I'm still doing my work. It's still really messy. The gift I have, though, is the ability to articulate this information, and therefore that has to be my service. It doesn't mean I've perfected it, nor would I expect anyone else to perfect it. That would be enlightenment and I've yet to have that experience. I have met people who are awakened, but not necessarily who have 100% transcended the pull of their own ego. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
notes. See? Yes. <laughs> Let me take some notes real quick. Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, human beings in general are very quick to put people on pedestals. Yeah. And uh, Alok... The poet and activist. Yeah, yeah. They have made comments in relation to that and have just been like, putting people on pedestals is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Like, we are meant to sit at a table and look at each other in the eyes. So... Yeah. Yeah. To honor our humanity, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if I put you on a pedestal, then I'm not honoring either of our humanities fully, right? Because it's like, you're here, you are perfect and I'm here, I'm not, but it's still this disconnect and it keeps us from being able to fully connect with the truth of whatever is there, whether it's the shadow, whether it's the pieces, you know, I've been connecting a lot with Beyond just the ego, I connect with, because there's so many, I feel like sometimes the ego, it can be a way to drop in and connect with the shadow. And I think it can also be a way to spiritual bypass, just be like, oh, it's the ego, Mm. you know? And it's like, what part of the ego is that? What part is that? Is that my, you know, my hard worker? Is that my worrier? Is that the piece of me that wants a particular kind of attention? And what does that look like? And so, you know, what I'm hearing from you, Sean, is that it's not, you're not pushing anything down. Mm-hmm. Because if you did, like, it would just come out in another way, probably in a more forceful way to be like, look at me. Mm-hmm. But you're allowing those parts to be there. And you're just choosing how to engage with them. So what you're saying is very interesting, because within the spirituality communities that I have been a part of over these many years, I have seen an enormous amount of spiritual bypassing being done, the avoidance of looking at the shadow self, because it doesn't seem spiritual, doesn't seem enlightened, it's not attractive. And again, it's probably because I've been in therapy so long that I was taught to befriend the shadow, that the shadow is an aspect of self. If we believe in the practice of yoga, that we're all one, that everything is independent, everything is connected, then to fragment ourselves and deny the shadow as being somehow imperfect means that we are fractured within ourselves and within our own humanity. If I'm judging the parts of me that experience jealousy, inadequacy, fear, rage, overwhelm, whatever it might be, then when I meet another human being who are exhibiting those qualities, if I haven't come to terms or gotten comfortable within myself, then odds are I will judge or reject it in someone else. And that's the opposite of the practice of yoga. We're supposed to experiencing our whole self, the light and the shadow. And so with spiritual bypass, that avoidance means that We are then taking the resonance of those emotions, the jealousy, the fear, the rage, the shame, whatever it might be. It has a vibration. It has a reality. We take that energy and we internalize it. We stuff it down. If you understand anything about the practice of yoga, you know that it is about the mind-body connection, that everything that we think, everything that we feel, everything that we experience, not just in our lifetime, but we also inherit it based on our culture, our upbringing, our religion, etc. But all of that information makes us who we are and lives within the body. And if we're denying that aspect of self, the resonance of that becomes tension. That tension is an addiction. It's a sensation that we feel and it is impacts our reactivity. So then it comes down to trauma. And I'll talk about this a little bit because I think it sets some context for some of the places that we might go to in this conversation. But our nervous system is set up in a very particular way. When we experience overwhelm in any form, and often it's defined as trauma, trauma is anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling helpless, hopeless, out of control, or unable to respond. When we're a child, let's say, before we have the opportunity to put our feelings into words, let's say we get bullied or we experience divorce, death, racism, sexism, whatever it might be in a little child's experience. In that moment, chemicals are released from the brain into the body. They're put into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. The body in that moment of overwhelm 
to try to find some safety, some stability, some control contracts. It's a physiological response to the fight, flight, freeze response, that contraction. That means in yogic terms, that trauma, that experience is now a samskara. It is information that is in a groove within the body. It lives within the body on a cellular level. If the child was raised in an environment where the parents saw that the child was just had something overwhelming happened and they need to process it and move the energy. Energy is defined as vibration with information. Everything is energy. The fact that we can see each other, that's gross energy. The energy moves at a slow enough rate that it's tangible, but there's subtle energy. And that includes emotions like grief and rage and overwhelm and jealousy. So if the parent sees that the child needs to process the feelings to let the energy pass through the body, they might give the child permission to yell, scream, cry, beat a pillow, cry, whatever it might be, to get them to simply release the internalized energy, the vibration. But we haven't been taught that. What we get taught is a big feeling comes up, the parents, because they haven't dealt with their own stuff, probably, will say something like, oh, you're sad? Here, have a cookie. Or you're angry, I'll give you something to be angry about. Either trying to find a way externally to soothe the big feeling or shame it rather than just allow it to move out of the body. So unfortunately, every single time that child, as they get older and older, experience an event that in the unconscious reminds them of that initial event, their body, even if it's just subtle, will contract. It'll contract over and over and over. That contraction is tension. Tension, stress, and anxiety are the number one causes of illness, the number one cause of depression. And as we get older, we get more creative in the ways in which we self-soothe. And we can use drugs, alcohol, shopping, television, internet, even sex as way to actually avoid the deeper emotions. Because what we get taught is that control equals safety. We don't know what's on the other side. So when we start to surrender, that can bring up, it can be re-traumatizing. Thus why yoga for some people is really messes them up because here you are just practicing yoga, getting stronger and more flexible. Suddenly you go deeper into those layers of tension where the emotions are living in those cells, those samskaras. And on the mat, the student might get fidgety, They might look around, start to fantasize, finding other ways mentally to dissociate or to self-soothe rather than just stay with the discomfort and see what's underneath it. And it's why so many people get very sometimes angry in a yoga class, sometimes very, very emotional. Sometimes they'll start giggling or have a surge of even like sexual energy. None of it is right, wrong, good or bad. It's just energy needing to be expressed. But when we're not taught about trauma, the mind-body connection, and the way in which the shadow lives within the body, then when these big feelings come up, we assign them labels as bad or wrong. And so we will bypass using spiritual information like everything happens for a reason, which is true. But you really can't get to that until you can get to the rage, until you can get to the grief. There needs to be place within my own humanity where If somebody wronged me, I get on a spiritual level that we're teachers, we came together to do big work, blah, blah, blah. I know that. (laughs) My nervous system, though, has a huge fuck you Uh that needs to be expressed. That child in me, where the original assault happened, needs the freedom to say, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed. And that might need to happen 10 times. 50 times for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter. It's just that when we deny the shadow, we deny this energy and it stays within us. And trust me, it will find a way to come out in passive aggressive behavior or in straight out just being an asshole and just saying and doing things because in that moment, it feels good. It feels empowered, but it's actually just creating more separation. And so if people could get comfortable 
with all the different aspects of our humanity and be willing in every, no matter how spiritual we are, to be willing each day to take a conscious and loving inventory of our emotions, to look at the places perhaps where we're still holding on to resentments, even if we think that we've healed them, and be willing to give voice to them. When we do that privately, I don't mean going up to someone and being like, fuck you. (laughs) Maybe writing a letter or putting that person in your imagination on a chair and just purging the ego, saying all the things until you can get past the anger, past the fear and to the very lowest part, uh, not the lowest part, actually, but just what's underneath as you peel all that back, which is always going to be grief. And allow space for the tears, allow space for the whatever it might be that hadn't gotten met either when you were eight or last week. Then if you were to confront that person, your response to them would be very different. It wouldn't come from a triggered place, from a shadowed place. It would come from a processed place. And it doesn't have to be passive. You can still tell the truth but you can do it without trying to annihilate someone's soul. And so to answer your question, and just in terms of spiritual bypass, it's massive. And yet I do understand why. It's because we haven't been given the skills to deal with our own fractured selves. And if we were, we would befriend them because they have something to teach us. My rage has taught me compassion. My sadness has taught me forgiveness. And one couldn't have happened without the other. And so there's only grace, even there's only grace in all of the human experience when we can get to that place. Damn, Sean, like seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take 10 minutes and process that. Hands on my knees, just like. I was holding his hand under the table. (laughs) Really? I was, because I was like, oh my, I'm feeling this. Well, in your own experience, is that something that you all witness or don't witness either in your own practice or with the people that you work with? I mean, what's your understanding of the shadow self and spiritual bypass? From a different space of me, like, you know, being in more spiritual communities. In my photo photographer life, I see it all the time, especially when it comes to weddings and meeting people like in that uh, short span of time and just watching people's personalities pop up in the same way. Like there's always a sassy bridesmaid. There's always a sassy (laughs) groomsman and it will not fail. Someone will behave. I'm like, oh, so you're the sassy one like that. uh, You're that guy. But in the broader spectrum of it, like I, I feel it is very important for me personally to be connecting with my own light and dark. And even in my meditations, one of the first things I say to myself is like, I am both light and dark. Whatever comes up, it's just, it's all valid. And to pretend like one part doesn't exist just doesn't feel like a reality to me. I can't accept any of it. I mean, if I'm not accepting myself in my wholeness, how can I expect anyone else you know, who I interact with to do that for me. I got this. I don't want to export that, that part of myself at all. Absolutely. So it's like this world requires, we need this now. And like, Mm -hmm. there's so much unchecked trauma, like across the gambit, like just in terms of medieval times, in terms of like racism, (laughs) like just no one has any tools. People wanted to skip over and be like, oh no, we shouldn't talk about it anymore. But like, it's just like, no, we have to discuss Mm -hmm. this or else there is no growth. We're going to ban these books. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want my kids to feel bad about themselves. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we have to push past these spaces, like discomfort. You need to live in that. Because through that, all there is is growth. And we're continually growing. And the moment we're done growing is we're not on on this planet anymore. And there's so much pain in that oftentimes, though. There's pain in seeing those pieces that we might be ashamed of, those pieces that may have been repressed. I'm in this process right now, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but I'm in this process right now of unearthing a lot of things that were repressed for 40 years, a lot of big things. And holding myself in that process of looking at these things because I know it's part of my growth and being with everything that comes up in that and not ignoring any of it. And it is fucking intense. (laughs) And he can speak to that. I mean, you know, there's been very visceral responses in my body and in my nervous system. And I understand how the nervous system works. And I, you know, and I love the the nervous system and how it works and really getting into that. And still even knowing that and 
being as much as I can an embodiment of that awareness, still there are times when I just have to surrender to what my body is processing and let it be. And sometimes it's intense. Sometimes I don't want to say it's ugly because I think it's actually all fucking beautiful, right? But it's messy and it's scary. And that's my therapist talks about that window of tolerance that oftentimes, you know, trauma survivors, it's very small, the window of tolerance, because again, we don't have the tools and we're in that space of contraction and tension and being triggered and all of these things. And so when we experience a shift or even, you know, that kind of ladder of the nervous system, maybe moving from being frozen from that freeze response to coming up to a space of just reacting, just feeling something that's uncomfortable and, and scary. And a lot of times I think the spot where people are like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want that. Why would I want this? I feel worse now. Yeah. And that's the thing. Oftentimes you might feel worse in, in healing before you feel better. And that's not the stuff we talk about enough. I think we need to blast that shit like on a loudspeaker. You might feel shitty for a while as you move through your shit. Mm-hmm. And you need to, that's, it takes carriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll say. I used to make a joke about that, that when people would come to me and say, um, Sean, I want to get on the spiritual path. I want to open myself to God. I want to surrender. There would be a little piece of, in my back of my head thinking that I want to say like, oh, don't. Like, <laughs> keep going. Stay in denial. Stay in dissociation. It is so much easier than what you've just suggested because you're going to have to go towards everything that feels the opposite of the light. Everything. And not just in your own personal life. When you start peeling it back, you're going back to your ancestors, to your culture, to the paradigms that exist, whether it's in relationship to the color of your skin or your religion, that there is embedded belief systems, constructs that are influencing our perception in this moment. Even if we personally haven't experienced it, it's in our DNA. And so when you start to peel that back, your self-confidence gets shattered because your self-confidence is with a small s. Your ego gets shattered. So it feels like you're getting disempowered, but it's the opposite. It's an emptying to be filled. It's to be born again. It's this dismantling of constructs so that something new can emerge. But unless you have a strong network of friends who have already walked this path, a good teacher, a good support system, the spiritual path is very isolating because it's unique to each individual. And once you think you got it, suddenly another layer is revealed and you're back on your knees again. And so denying these opportunities for growth, I understand why people choose not to, but I also know then that their own lives and true happiness is going to be minimized because their joy and their happiness is going to be seen through the lens that's myopic rather than holistic. It's like once you see, you can never unsee. You can get off the path. You can act out inappropriately. You can do all sorts of stuff, but there'll be some place in your soul that knows that now we got to work this out. Now we got to process this. What did this mean? Why did this happen? But it is not fun. It is not comfortable. But to me, the other choice is the death of the soul. And I'd rather live in the discomfort of this, of awakening than stay in the death of unconsciousness or sleep. That's literally the theme of the matrix. Yeah. (laughs) It absolutely is. is, That is the embodiment. It's just like either I can choose to deal, live in this world where everything is perfect or somewhat perfect and like Mm -hmm. things are at my convenience. And I can eat delicious food. (laughs) Yeah. Or I can basically take this pill and just get like rocked and then take it into like this completely desolate reality where I am alive and I'm existing in my own free free will. My therapist talks about the matrix. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because he's what happens when you get out of the matrix, you throw up. (laughs) Yeah. It's this violent, like, because it's like, they're like, oh, he's going to blow. And it's pretty like on par to to this experience of understanding who we really are and what we're, what, what we're holding. Yeah. 
So we ran in a different direction. I, thought, I, was, I was about to like, try to bring it back. We're going to try to change the name of this, uh, the title. Is. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we're going to reverse this title. Uh, <laughs> well, candid conversation. We can talk about yeah, fucking what. Yeah. But I do think there's room for this because, you know, we've talked a lot about the shadow, about repressing things. And there's maybe like top three that, you know, sex is part of that, of what is deeply and wildly repressed. You know, I was teaching yoga for 18 years and what I saw a lot is just deliberate extraction oftentimes of definitely sexuality. And, you know, to an extent, I understand we have to have boundaries when we're in these very embodied experiences. And, you know, how do we have these boundaries? It's very similar with like therapists, how therapists are supposed to like not be like human beings and just hold the space because of the boundaries of working with people, you know? And so it's similar in yoga communities and I get it. And it feels like it's coming, the extraction is coming more from a space of fear and shame than like conscious boundaries and reverence. Can you speak to that, Sean? Yeah. I can only speak to it based on my own experience as a teacher, but you know, it's interesting because I see the both. I see in some cases, especially within the wellness world, an exploitation of sexuality or a paradigm of sexuality that to me is very patriarchal. The woman is sexualized in a very certain way based on the size of her boobs, the flatness of her belly, the color of her skin, her eyes, her hair, and that the poses that are demonstrated are often suggestive, the placement of the camera, all of that is meant to titillate or to make you feel bad about not being able to live into that particular paradigm of beauty, as has been a construct that has been passed down, you know, in our culture through the patriarchy, through the white patriarchy. And there's not enough representation in terms of the spectrum of what sexuality looks like, feels like, and creates. And it keeps sexuality in a certain box that feels both shameful and exploitative, both disempowered and empowered at the same time. But actually, it's like powerful and disempowered, which are ego words. Powerful is power over. Powerless is power under. What we're looking for within our sexuality and with life is empowerment and not these binaries. I know for myself as a teacher, because I was so visible, it made me very uncomfortable, especially based on my own trauma. Being in magazines, being on covers of magazines, being airbrushed, being stuck in clothing that was very not comfortable to me, like in hot pink and bright oranges, things where that were deliberately designed to draw your eye towards my sexuality. Based on my own trauma, And also not the way in which I express my sexuality, that was really uncomfortable. And for me to be a teacher, the way in which I had to create boundaries was to actually desexualize myself in the public arena and doing it even right now. I'm wearing all black. My clothes are looser. I don't wear makeup. I don't wear midriff anything. I don't wear a lot of colors. I don't want the attention on me so that the attention can remain where it needs to be, which is in the student's experience, nor do I want them projecting what they think beauty or sexiness is based on my experience of that, whatever that might be. So for me, it's a deliberate choice not to deny sexuality at all, but to take my narrative out of the equation I think in the practice of yoga that it is a practice of sensuality. You're moving energy. You're expanding consciousness. And sexuality exists as a part of our magical phenomenon of beingness, equal to breathing, equal to our heart beating, that for whatever reason, be it procreation or just for pleasure, our body is equipped in certain ways to both give and receive that creative energy, to deny it, to shame it, to reject it impacts all aspects of our health and wellness, including our self-esteem, our ability to love ourselves, our ability to surrender. And it's all because of the constructs and the guilt and the shame that really are passed down via our religion. 
in yoga, before it was a patriarchy, those, you've gone to India, you've seen those temples with the, the goddesses and all forms of sexual expression. It was something valued and honored. And we were invited to lean into that part of our self-expression as a sacred act of spirituality. That somehow got reinterpreted and the role of goddess became more archetypal as something that's limited in its scope of understanding to what it once was. And my hope always in the people's healing journey, at one point or another, they're going to have to confront the relationship that they have with their own sexuality their parents' sexuality, the sexuality that as defined by their culture or their religious institution or their educational systems, because it impacts the way in which we experience ourselves and the way in which we experience each other. We're not taught to communicate our feelings related to sexuality. We're not given proper guidance on how to even suggest that there might be something we want that is different than is prescribed by our culture, or that if it's not in alignment with our partner's wants. And as a result of that, we think that in sexuality, we have to adhere to certain mores to either be lovable or to be accepted or to be marriageable or to be whatever it might be. And I wish fuckable even, yeah. What's that? Fuckable, to be fuckable, even that. (laughs) Totally, to be fuckable. And my wish always, I mean, my own relationship is pretty status quo. I'm in a monogamous relationship for 21 years because I choose that. Because that works for my psyche, my body, my soul is a part of what I think my path is. It's not fixed though. That could change. It could change for my partner. It could change for me. If we understand spirituality is ever evolving act of creative response as we have more experience, our relationship with God continually evolves. It matures. Our language around it matures, but it's based on experience. Sexuality is the same thing. And I would hope that if it's true for an individual that they listen to their bodies, they challenge their own social mores, that they recognize sexuality lives on a spectrum, that they allow for all aspects of their sexuality to be expressed for whatever that might mean, whether it's uh, being polyamorous, gay, monogamous like myself. I mean, this it's endless. If you're into... What is it? Flurries or when you dress up as stuffed animals? Like? <laughs> oh, furries. Is it furries? Furries. Furries. What is it? <laughs> yeah. Furries. It's like, who cares? As long as it's between consent adults and there's communication involved and it's safe for everyone involved, again, in that, whatever that parameter might be, it needs to be validated and expressed. Hopefully, though, sometimes sexuality gets expressed because it's how we receive love. And so we might enter into realms of our sexuality that are actually very uncomfortable because it's giving us validation. And so my hope is that as we start to unpack our sexuality, that we work with somebody, whether it's a therapist or somebody else with who can guide and support to make sure that you're not coming from a really shadowed place with it and indulging in the shadow rather than using all aspects of our sexual experience to move us closer to God. And what I mean by that is that we're learning from it, growing from it, acknowledging the light and the shadow, feeling into our emotions, recognizing the impulse of why is this my choice at this time, that it's a part of the spiritual process, not separate then. I see so much repression within the communities of wellness and yoga. I never quite, I both understand it and I don't. And I'm true to it because it's authentic to me, but it doesn't mean it's the only one and true way that sexuality should be expressed in a singular lifetime and that there should be room for all expressions of sexuality and that there should be space for the necessary communication and the big feelings that come up when we start to explore something as vulnerable as sex, whether that sex is alone or with two people or with 10 people. 
It's intimate. And my teacher taught me that intimacy means into me, I see. And so all forms of intimacy hold that mirror up to let us look within. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you. Did that resonate for the two of you? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know, I think for me, the past couple of years, I've shifted. And I don't know if you know this, Sean, we had a conversation in 2019 at an off the mat thing with you. And we were walking to your car. We had like a quick chat. And I told you, I was like thinking, I was going in a couple of different directions. I was feeling that urge to like expand. And one of the things I had said was moving into some form of sex coaching. And you were like, oh yeah, <laughs> like I really think. And it was just this like, it wasn't necessarily, oh, Sean says this, so that's what I have to do. It wasn't that. It was a seed that was planted that just kind of, it birthed. And, you know, I've taken that shift. I don't teach yoga. I believe I still teach yoga through the tantra that I'm doing, which is lineage-based and, you know, Tibetan Buddhism and is rooted in a lot of deep reverence and respect and I've taken my own voice and put it, you know, infused it into all the stuff I've done over the years, but I have shifted into spaces where people know that we're going to be talking about sex, about kink, about polyamory, about all these things. So there's space for it, right? Like we're going to be talking about orgasms. We're going to be talking about vulvas. We're going to be talking about penises. Like this is going to happen and I'm going to go in and people know how I talk about things. I get pretty candid about all of this stuff, my own experiences. And so for me, that's been an opportunity to expand all of those conversations through that, for my platform on Instagram, calling in people that can actually have mature, respectful, connected conversation. I have a platform where Nick's a photographer. We do these beautiful boudoir shoots. It's a way that him and I connect together, which is so lovely. And yeah, I put those pictures out there and I'm very clear and discerning about what that means to me. And the community that I have there have respected that. Like it's possible for people to see those things and not quote unquote, like lose their minds and just be like, oh, sex, right? It's okay to be in those conversations. Hearing you talk about it is like, yeah, there needs to be a particular container for it so that those that are involved are consenting to it. And like, cause some people don't want to have, like, for whatever reason, maybe based on their trauma or based on where they are in their life, they don't have the space for that. And that needs to be their right as well. I agree. Without a doubt, I do agree. And I love that you're doing that. I think that there needs to be more space for these kinds of conversations and held, like you said, to your point, respectfully and in a container. Because when you're dealing with sexuality, you're going to be dealing with people's traumas and deep triggers that might be both unconscious or conscious. And it's the responsibility then is on the facilitator to know how to manage that energy and hold that space because you don't want to re-traumatize someone. But it's core. To me, it's when someone is an addict, when they define as an addict, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be, when you begin to peel that back, very often you'll see that at the root of whatever their addictions are is a secondary addiction that's related to sex. And so it's another way in which we self-soothe, a way in which we get approval, a way in which we change the way we feel. So if sex is being used, like alcohol, to change how we feel because we're uncomfortable with our feelings, so it's being used as a salve, that can be problematic there's no healing. You never get what's underneath it. You've got to get to the core. What you're doing is inviting people to say like, we're taught to put the salve on. Let's now take that salve off, open up that wound and go in because it's got to get cleaned. It's got to, got to put peroxide on it. Before you can put that salve on it, you got to get in there and wash it out. And that means you actually have to see it. That's really hard in our culture. It's not pretty. It's uncomfortable. It's not feminine. It's not masculine. It's hyper-feminine. It's hyper-masculine. It's all these extremes when it just needs to be a natural part of our humanity and our spiritual self-expression. That's unique for each person. And I do believe that it is its own yoga and held by someone like yourself who's had a myriad of experiences, who have explored this work within their own life because it's part of your karma. 
It is. It's just a part of your karma and your own spiritual growth. You can speak to it because you've lived and continue to lean into the discomfort, into the shame, into the fear, and are willing to dance in that space until your nervous system titrates. That means that when you're witnessing someone else and inviting them to lean, you're able to notice when their nervous system is at, is deregulated and help them find that um, homeostasis, that equilibrium. And then the next time, go a little deeper or pull back. But that's why I do feel that there needs to be people who are skilled, not just in the conversation of sexuality, but in human psychology to understand trauma and people's response to it because sex is core to so many of our traumas. Oh, we could just go for so much longer. (laughs) There's so much. Okay. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Or just like briefly, we're going to do some quick fire questions with you, Sean, shortly, but do you have anything you want to? Being human is hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good wrap up of our whole conversation. It just is. In order to move through any of it, it requires so much patience Mm. and so much unlearning. You just have to breathe into all of it and be like, okay, let's pace this out and see how it works out. But it just requires so much breath and just patience. Yes. And I hope a good sense of humor. Oh, Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) I'm orbiting joy. Yes, orbiting joy. Yeah, that's my protest (laughs) in this life, in this body. In relation to my ancestors, like that is what I'm called here to do is basically is be and be dope and be hilarious and enjoy yourself and receive all of it and hold space for all of it. I, I love, love it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we both were like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay, so we have some questions. And if there's anything, it's a mix of sexy, some sexy questions, fun, and some, you know, deeper. If there's anything that you're like, I'm not answering that. <laughs> Totally fine. I will ask another question. I'll edit it out. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Good. Okay. First question of our quick fire round. Something that makes you belly laugh. Oh my God. Something that makes me belly laugh. Being with my friends who know me in a very different way and talking about sex, which is really what I talk about with my friends more than anything else. And hearing horror stories that are just downright humiliating, where you just are doing just a walk of shame, (laughs) but laughing about it and sharing and empathizing. I have had some of my best laughs hearing these stories and watching people or my friends just kind of come to terms, whatever the embarrassment was, and laughing not with them, at them because that's what you do when you have these long-term relationships. And so those are the kinds of things, like just talking about inappropriate sex with my friends is what makes me belly laugh. Yes. Great answer. Great answer. One way you're taking care of yourself. One way that I am taking care of myself right now is staying home and off the road and being really mindful for my own health and wellness and the health and wellness of my community and not going out into big social situations where I could be putting myself or other people at risk. And so it's giving myself permission to stay home in my house, tending to my family and to my dog and nurturing and nourishing my own physical and psychological health and wellness. Beautiful. I hear that. Yeah. Here's a sexy one. If there was a food that could give you an orgasm, and there totally are foods that can do that, what food would it be? I have an addiction to one particular food that I can't eat because I have a problem with it. And it's going to sound ridiculous, but this would be my go-to. I'm obsessed with sunflower seeds, salted sunflower seeds in the shell, and have been since I was around 14 years old. And eat them. One is not enough. 10,000 is... That's not enough. It's just endless. And so right now I'm off the wagon. No, on the wagon. (laughs) On the sunflower wagon. I I haven't had one in about, it was during my book tour. I had been clean, if you will, for about five years. When I went on my book tour, one of my childhood friends gave me a bag, not knowing how bad my issue was around the compulsion of seeds and I gave myself that gift that after my book tour was done, I would give myself just that bag 
that bag turned into months and months of just constant, constant eating of sunflower seeds. Oh my God. So right now I'm off, but that is the food that I dream about. I think about this, even talking about it now, like I feel kind of lit up and excited. (laughs) And so I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that oral part of it, the salt maybe, but if there was a food that could give me an orgasm, I would imagine it would be sunflower seeds. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, chocolate, oysters, no, no. Or sunflower, sunflower seeds. seeds. You don't even know. You don't even know. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't admit it after that. I, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> uh, next one. What is your love language? My love language. You mean to receive or to give? Uh, to receive. Mm-hmm. My love language would be words of affirmation. Every night before I go to bed, my poor partner, <laughs> I, I look at him and I say, tell me one thing you love about me. Oh. And so he'll take a moment, you know, and he has, he can't just say like, I love your hair. Yeah. yeah. Like he has to take a moment to really think about either something I did or said that just touched him or moved him. And thankfully he accommodates this because it's every day. And I can feel my whole body melt when he looks me in the eye and reflects back to me something that only he sees. Whether it's a simple gesture that I did for someone else, something he overheard me do or say on the phone, or an action that I took related to his children or to something, my dog, or something physical. Like, But it's knowing that he sees me in a way that no one else can and is willing just to reflect that, my whole being melts. I love it so much. And so mine is definitely language. That's how I feel affirmed in my relationships. It's communication. That's mine too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell Tonight me. you're going to say to Nick, tell me one thing <laughs> that you love about me. We, we, do, we do three appreciations. It's part of a tantric union breathing practice where I gaze, you do 21 breaths, and then you sit, you're in like, lotus position you're sitting and you're looking you share three appreciations about each other and it's so lovely you know like we like close our eyes and like really think about it to like i feel like sometimes there's pressure like you don't know you don't know what you love about me you should know it immediately (laughs) i I never feel that pressure i never never do i know you so like gracefully like like, "Hmm, give me a second like it's so lovely (laughs) it's like he's just like i'm thinking yeah it's, it's uh, great. So yes, I totally, I tell Nick I love him like a hundred times a day. Uh, <laughs> every single. Are you going to say it back? <laughs> Easy. Because I'd like to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's do one more. If you could have a sexual experience of any kind, anywhere in the world, and it doesn't have to be practical, where would it be? If I could have a sexual experience anywhere in the world, where would it be? Although I thought it was interesting to see who was calling me in the moment. <laughs> so you were thinking about that. Tr- truly. Like I was very curious, like, hmm. <laughs> is this a message? <laughs> I've been around the world and I have traveled all over the place and I have had sexual experiences in very unusual places. The worst being the beach, way overrated, totally. way overrated no desire sand is not our friend oh no no sand can get in places and it's not comfortable no learn that the hard way (laughs) (laughs) literally Um, (laughs) but what i would say is what's coming to my mind there have been a few experiences in different parts of the world where i stopped the experience from reaching, from following through. It didn't finish it out. I'd like a redo. (laughs) As an adult woman, and as a 55-year-old woman, when I look back at was what was in my head at that time and why I couldn't do Mm. what I, what Mm -hmm. was happening, what was unfolding, what stopped me, I would really like to say what you think is happening let it go. Yes. You're good. Enjoy <laughs> this. Oh my God, will, at 55, you will be having a conversation and someone will say, what was your favorite sexual experience <laughs> anywhere in the world? And I will be able to that say one. there. And unfortunately I can't because I didn't follow through, even though it was appropriate. 
but a construct got in my way. And so I would like a redo in a couple of spots. In my mind, I know exactly there is one, two, three, four places that I wish I can go back in time and do a redo because that would be incredible. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's such an amazing and unexpected answer. Like, nice. That is so good. That's great. Oh, Sean, this has been such a pleasure, mm. such a deep and satisfying pleasure to have this time with you. Thank you so much for your authenticity and just for really digging down into like reality and the truth of a lot of these issues and just conversations. Thank you both very much. It's been good. So good. So, so good. So is there anything? I just want to say how much I appreciate. I appreciate being in this conversation. And I'm so glad the two of you are holding the space to have conversations like this happen. The more that we can normalize this and be really human in them and have fun with it, maybe it'll break some of the stigma and invite other people to get more and more comfortable with sharing their own experience and, um, and also seeking out support and other like-minded individuals to just to create a new paradigm when it comes to what it is to lean into our sexuality with confidence and with grace as a part of our spiritual experience, not separate from. And so I'm really grateful that the two of you are doing that and are willing to hold this level of intimate conversation. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Is there anything that you want to tell us about that's going on right now? Like anything you want to wrap? I am teaching online. If people want to come and join me, it's called Align with Source, three days a week live. And other than that, I am just teaching online and trying to be in service to the community in the best way I can right now while we're still going through this pandemic and don't intend to go to travel again for a while. So if they want to find me, they can find me online. And you guys will have all of that information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Sean. You're so welcome. Holy shit. Wow. There's those moments when you're just like, I need a minute to let that process. Sean's a super cool human being. <laughs> super cool. Super, super cool human Sips being. Super cool. <laughs> yeah, there, there was just so much meat in that conversation and so much power and uh, thoughtfulness in her responses. Do you be able to speak that way while you're in like an interview or I'm really just like dumbfounded and blown away by that. that She's it, been doing that shit for 30 years. Oh yeah. I'm sure you kind of, you fall into a space, but yeah, like it's just so cool to kind of be in that space. And be, I don't know. I'm just like, I just, I eat it up. I eat all that up and yeah, I will carry that, that conversation with me for sure. For sure. 100%. Infused in our hearts. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about what we're doing, right? Like, that's why we're doing what we're doing yeah. is because we want to have these really thoughtful and loving conversations with people that we know, people that we don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how we connect. And when we connect, we heal. Yeah. And hopefully it inspires someone to take a step. Yeah. Just, just one. Like you, you don't got to build a house. Just plant a plant a brick, take one step. Like yeah, yeah. That's, all, that's all you need. Plant a garden, build a porch. One seed, one, <laughs> one board. This one Board. Yeah. What would your one board be? What do you mean my one board? Well, like, board. <laughs> no, but what would it be? I mean, I'm pretty sure we're talking about metaphors right here. Uh, yeah, but like, so what, what would your board be? What would my metaphorical board be? Board be moving forward from this conversation. Oh, okay. one board. One board. Ah, oh, wow. I feel like I'm on the spot now. One board from the conversation. Just taking another step toward me holding space for all permutations of me. Period. Personally sexually by myself with someone else it's just being able to be in conversation and talk and express and not like judge myself too harshly i think my board is this understanding i think i had a realization during that conversation that you know after teaching yoga for like 18 years i moved away from it a bit and to be able to step into these containers of talking about sex more candidly i think just like in this conversation i was like oh that's why Mm. like that's why i've done that because it needs to be a safe container where we know we're all on the same page of what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And, you know, having that come through, that's my board, like taking that, yeah. that next step, that, and, uh, get me some sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised by that. That was the best answer ever. I was really surprised by that. A hundred percent. I was not expecting that whatsoever. And my mind was just like the time when you eat all the sunflower seeds and your lips were so raw from the to, salt. You get to a point when your lips are just, completely wrong yeah so i imagine like, like you sort of take, 
Like, I don't know. Well, they were delicious and salty, and the sodium, you just like know your blood sugar. Sodium. Your blood pressure's like through the roof. Your blood pressure's like through the roof. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Sean at Sean Corn on Instagram. That's S E A N E C O R N. And SeanCorn.com. Follow me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram and check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com. You can follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram and you can also check out my website at nickanthony.com. Editing by Audionauts and music by Greta Hopmer. Go on that iTunes and please, please leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful. Help us spread the kitchen table love. Until next time.